The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. My name is Eric Shelley. I'm one of the elders here at Fathom. Uh, It's good to be up here again. It's good to be able to bring today's message to you. It's good to see those of you uh, here in the room and and those online. Um, If you've got your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Corinthians 13. That's where we're going to be today. Each week, we want every person to read the scripture on the scripture passage on their own Bible. So whether that's an actual uh, physical book, phone, tablet, please find your way to 1 Corinthians 13 in your own Bible. In 1955, Frank Sinatra recorded the song "Love and Marriage," and the first verse of the song says, "Love and marriage, love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other." Now, if you're my age, you may know this song less because of Frank Sinatra and more because of another guy named Al Bundy. Um, this song was the theme song for a TV show, Married with Children, that ran during much of the 90s. But I don't mention this song because of, of the TV show or because of Al Bundy or, or even Frank Sinatra. I mention it because of that last lyric that I read to you, you can't have one without the other. It's the idea that you can't have one thing without also having another. You can't have A without B. You can't have light without also having darkness. You can't be a Broncos fan without also hating the Raiders. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. We've got a similar requirement with the Dallas Cowboys. Philly fans are required to hate Dallas. You can't have one without the other. And we're going to come back to that phrase this morning. But there's a second reason that I mentioned uh, the song Love and Marriage. And it's because our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians 13, is, is about love and is often associated with marriage and with weddings. Now, even if you've never opened the book of 1 Corinthians 13 before, there's a good chance that you're familiar with this passage. There's a good chance you've probably been to a wedding where this passage was read, and there may even be a good chance that it was read at your own wedding. And I'm in both of these groups. I've been to multiple weddings where this passage has been read. Anna and I had it read at our own wedding. But guess what? Reading 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding is taking the passage out of context. It's not that this passage doesn't teach us great things about love. In fact, the passage describes love very accurately, But where using it at a wedding takes a passage out of context is that Paul isn't really talking about weddings. He's not talking about about marriage or about romance or or really anything involving a marriage relationship. Just like the rest of 1 Corinthians, in this passage, Paul is talking to the church about the church. He's teaching the church in Corinth how to love one another. And so starting back in January, and really for all of of 2020, we've been preaching through 1 Corinthians, which is one of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. And Paul wrote to them because the church church had some issues. They were kind of messed up. And that's what Paul's been addressing in this letter. He's been addressing the issues that he's heard about in this church. And that's what we've been learning about for the past eight months. And for the, the first 10 chapters of this letter, Paul's been rebuking the Corinthians for a variety of things. They had jealousy, boasting, they were rejoicing in in sin. They were arrogant, they were being resentful, they were impatient, they were self-seeking. And then in chapter 11, Paul shifts gears somewhat and he begins speaking to the the church's gathering or the church's worship service, kind of how they they meet and worship together. In chapter uh, 11, he talked about how the church should take communion together. 
In chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts and how they should be used in the church. And today's passage continues this discussion on spiritual gifts. But then Paul kind of circles back and, and revisits some of the things that he's rebuked them for already. And so our passage today is a continue, continuation of, of what, we've been, what we've seen the last couple of weeks in chapter 12. But now Paul's bringing one greater point into the discussion. In chapter 12, Paul's point was that the Spirit gives each of us these gifts or talents or, or abilities which we, are able, which we are to use in the church for the good of the church or for the edification of the church or, in other words, to build up the church. And Chris taught on this the last couple of weeks. It's that the, spiritual is give, the Spirit has given each of us different gifts, just like different parts of the bodies have different, different roles. But then there's a sentence at the end of chapter 12 that sort of stands out on, on its own, but it works to transition us into chapter 13. Paul says at the end of chapter 12, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so it's this more excellent way of using spiritual gifts that Paul is telling us about in chapter 13. And that more excellent way is to use them in love. So again, here in chapter 13, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. And here's where using 1 Corinthians 13 as a wedding reading is taking it out of context. Because the pa- passage is about how to use spiritual gifts in the church in love. And so Paul's going to start here by listing off some spiritual gifts. And then stating that while each of these gifts are desirable, they're all sorely lacking if they're not used in love. So let's turn to our passage together, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So tongues is the first gift that Paul mentions here in verse 1. And in a couple of weeks, Chris is going to preach on chapter 14, which, which discusses tongues more specifically. And so I'm not going to go into a great deal about them today. But for our purposes today, speaking in tongues is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to pray or speak in a language that you've not learned or do not understand. It's, it's the ability to speak in a, in a non-worldly language. And so Paul is saying that if you can speak in tongues, if you speak in heavenly or angelic language, but you don't do it in or out of love, that you're just making noise. You might as well just be babbling. You can say the most wonderful things, but if love isn't present, you're simply making empty noise. And that's all that people are going to hear. He's saying, you can't have one without the other. You can't have tongues without love. Let's go into verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am, no- I am nothing. So the next set of gifts that Paul addresses are the gifts of prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, and faith. And verse 2 is really a rewording of what Paul said in chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. You can probably just flip there pretty easily, but I'll read it. For, one, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. So again, Paul states that you can have some of these gifts, but they're empty without love. The gift of prophecy is the ability to declare the future will of God. And that's a gift that we would, we would all love to possess, right? I mean, how many times have you prayed, God, show me your will? Or God, reveal your will for blank? The phrase, understand, the phrase understand all mysteries refers to having great wisdom and knowledge. It's the ability to understand God's truths and promises. And the gift of faith is leaning your full trust 
and confidence in God's saving power. And again, how many times have you prayed that you would have stronger faith or that God would deepen your faith? So these are all very desirable gifts, prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, and faith. And when given through the Spirit, these are all important and powerful gifts for use in the church. Paul says that you can be a prophet, or you can be wise, or knowledgeable, or extremely faithful, but if you aren't loving, you're nothing, and the gifts are nothing. You can't have wisdom or great faith without love. You can't have one without the other. On to verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So in verse 3, Paul is speaking to the gifts of generosity or sacrifice. He says you can have the gift of generosity. That is, you can give away all your money or all your possessions, all that you have, or you can go as far as to give away or sacrifice your life. This is, this is called martyrdom. But even, you can even do that without being loving, without love. Paul's saying here that even the ultimate sacrifice, if done without love, is ultimately nothing and gains nothing. One commentator said that even self-sacrifice can be self-centered. If the sacrifice is not done in love, in the love of others, it's empty. It's nothing. You can't truly be generous without love. You can't have one without the other. So here's a way to illustrate, which I've, I borrowed this from another pastor. I'm going to read you a brief excerpt from one of the, the greatest speeches in U.S. history. It's Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountains shall be made low, and the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. You see, I was reading from one of the most compelling, powerful, and transformational speeches ever given. And I certainly didn't speak it as, as uh, powerfully as King did back in the 60s, but you really didn't hear the words I was saying anyway, did you? Instead, you heard the noisy gong, the clanging cymbal. You heard, you heard more cowbell. <laughs> and that's Paul's point here, that without love, all the wonderful things that we say or do, whether it's wonderful words or speech, whether it's prophecies, wisdom, knowledge, faith, extreme generosity, or even sacrificing your life, if these things aren't done in love, all of those things, all of those gifts are just noise. And that noise distracts from everything else rendering the gift meaningless. Just like me ringing a cowbell rendered the powerful words I was reading meaningless. So living and acting without love renders even our good actions meaningless. And so this is Paul's message to the, to the church. It's that the Holy Spirit has given each of us gifts that are to be used to build up the church. But if those gifts aren't used in a loving manner, they're just a waste of time and energy. And so for us, for, for the church, I think the question has become, Am I using my spiritual gifts to build up the church? And am I using my spiritual gifts in love? So first, if you don't know your, what your spiritual gifts are, come talk to us. 
Come talk to the elders or staff, and, and we'd love to talk through it with you. There's, there's some conversations we can have about your talents or about your passions. There's some resources we can point you towards that may help you identify some of your giftings. And then we can discuss how to use them here at Fathom to help strengthen the church. Now, maybe you do know your spiritual gifts. Maybe you know what some of your passions and abilities are. <clears throat> maybe you've found ways to serve here at Fathom. And so the question for you is, am I using my gifts in love? Am I serving in love? Am I serving with the right heart? Because it's really easy to do anything with the wrong motives. For example, I could stand up here and I, I could teach for a lot of reasons and with a lot of motivations. I could try to make myself look cool or clever or smart. I could try to make Fathom look like a, a, you know, a cool or cutting edge church. I could try to attack some people and call some people out for some things. Or I could just vent about something I'm feeling or, or thinking. And all of these unfortunately can be motivations for those who wear a face mic and who preach. Where the true motivation should be to preach the gospel out of our love for others. And that's, that's how I, I try to approach each time I, I, I teach. It's because I love this church. I love the people here in this room, those of you watching at home. I want to see each of you go deeper with God. That's, that's why we're, we're here as, as Fathom. So how can I explain and teach the text in a way that helps you go deeper? That's how I think I can love you and build up the church when I preach. And I don't think Paul's instructions here apply to only things like preaching or prophecy or, or having great faith. Like Chris taught a few weeks back, what Paul's teaching in this section of 1 Corinthians is about our gifts, our talents, activities, our ministries. And Paul's mandate for love to be present applies to any of the ways that we can serve within the church. So maybe, for example, you volunteered to be on the cleaning team. And so you're helping to disinfect the, the, this chapel room in between our services. And it would be really easy to maybe do so with poor motives or to do so resentfully. You could say, you know, how does this really matter? I'm not even, am I even helping anyone? I don't, I don't even talk with anyone. How am I helping them? But if you start in love, if you start with the idea of how can I love others by using my time, my energy to clean this chapel, then you begin to see through a different lens. You see, in cleaning the chapel well, you may help a brother or sister here at Fathom from getting sick. You may help prevent the spread of COVID-19. And suddenly, wiping down some chairs in this room becomes an act of love. It becomes a tremendous way to serve the church and to love this church. And this is how we, we act and think and live in love. So whether it's teaching or preaching, whether it's giving to Fathom, whether it's lead, helping to lead worship, or whether it's using disinfectant wipes on our chairs— it's meaningless if not done in love. You can't have one without the other. And here's my main point for this section. And we'll put it up on the slide. If spiritual gifts are the tools the spirit uses to build the church, our love is the material the church is built with. It's the idea that tools are worthless if there's not material to work with. A, a saw without wood to cut, it's just a piece of machinery that sits there. A hammer without a nail to hit, it's just kind of a shaped hunk of metal. You can't use tools without materials to work with. You can't use spiritual gifts without love. You can't have one without the other. Let's move on to the rest of our passage, verses 4 through 7. Paul just told us that the most wonderful spiritual gifts and the most incredible human sacrifices, power, wisdom, faith, if these things are practiced and done without love, they're meaningless. They're nothing without love. And so now he's going to do what a good teacher should do. 
He just told us that we need love in all aspects of our ministry, and now he's going to describe love to us. So verses four through seven, they say, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So as I discussed earlier, Paul's writing to Corinth to generally rebuke and correct them. And that's what he's continuing to do here. In these four verses, he's contrasting some of their actions, actions which he's already previously addressed in his letter. He's contrasting those actions with what true love looks like. And Chris has talked about this before, but one of the hard parts about preaching through the Bible the way that we do at, at Fathom, where we... We slice it up into small sections, and then we preach through that each, each section one week at a time. One of the hard parts is that it's easy to lose sight of the big or the overall picture of the entire book or letter. Remember, Paul's writing a letter to the church, and it was, it was really intended to be read in one sitting. Just, just like you would read a letter or an email that you would get, you'd read it in its entirety. And so it's important to remember today that, that Paul's referencing some of the things he's already addressed earlier in his letter. And he brings them up again as a way to contrast how the Corinthians are currently treating each other versus how they should be treating each other. They're not loving one another. And so Paul wants to explain to them the more excellent way of how to do that, of how to love one another. And he's going to explain love in two ways. He'll contrast what love is not with what love is. And then he'll contrast what love does not do with what love does. So let's start with what love is not versus what love is. Paul, starts, Paul says at the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5 that the Corinthians were arrogant and rude towards one another. And then further on in verse 5, he says the Corinthians were irritable, which means they're easily angered or easily provoked, and they're resentful of one another. And here resentful means that you keep records of the wrong done to you rather than forgiving the wrong done to you. Remember some of the ways that this church was treating each other. They were causing divisions by their arrogance and their boasting. They would boast about which teacher or speaker they followed and which one was better. They, when they would have communion, they would rudely just, just kind of barge in and just start eating. They'd overindulge. They'd eat all the food before everyone had a chance to participate in these, in these meals. They'd get ticked off at one another. And they'd hold grudges and even sue each other. And so Paul reminds the church that what they're doing of what they're doing. He says, look, you guys are arrogant, you're rude, you're irritable, you're resentful. That's not love. Here's what love is. Love is patient and kind. So there's the is not versus is contrast. Love is not arrogant, rude, irritable, or resentful. Instead, love is patient and love is kind. So let's discuss these two traits here, patience and kindness. First, love is patient. In this context, patience is not just, patience is not just the ability to wait your turn or to wait for something, but instead it's the ability to be wronged and not retaliate. It literally means to be long-tempered. So you're patient with someone despite their sin against you, or maybe even despite their continued sin against you. And secondly, love is kind. This means extending good to others even when they may not be good to you. So when you put these two together, you begin to see what Paul is saying. He's saying that loving each other with patience and kindness means that you can be hurt or wronged by someone and not seek revenge or restitution, but instead you extend kindness and forgiveness towards them. Now, we all know that kids say the darndest things. 
Sometimes what they say is unintentionally really funny. Sometimes it's unintentionally uh, hurtful or mean. Um, I'd come in sometimes like from working in the yard or maybe I was working out and one of my girls would say to me, Daddy, you stink. And maybe I did, but they're, they're just being honest. Other times I, I would hear, Daddy, no offense, but Mommy makes better pancakes than you do. <laughs> I love the honesty, right? Um, but sometimes kids can get disrespectful and they can talk back or they can, they can blatantly disobey you. And in that moment as a parent, it can be kind of infuriating, right? Amen? Um, but, but parents don't fight back. We don't punish our kids to get revenge on them for hurting our feelings or, or for disrespecting us. We don't insult them back. We don't, we don't speak rudely to them. We don't kick them out of the family or anything out of the house or anything like that. Instead, we strive to be long-tempered with them. We realize when they're young, they're still learning. They need to be loved and lovingly corrected. Ann and I are often seeking the right balance of, of firmness and love when we discipline because we love them, because we're in permanent relationships with them. And so we seek to love our girls in, in patience and in kindness, not in rudeness and irritability and resentfulness. It's, it's hard, but it's what, we're, it's what we're called to do. And the same goes for us in the church. Paul is calling us here to patience and kindness. So now Paul moves on to show us what love doesn't do compared to what it does do. In verses 4 through 6, Paul states what love does not do. It does not envy or boast. It does not insist on its own way and does not rejoice in, in wrongdoing. And these things are all kind of related in that they're all caused by being self-seeking. Envy or jealousy is related to boasting. We're jealous of what others have, and so that causes us to boast in what we have. It's kind of like, oh yeah, well I caught a fish that was this big. Like You, you brag about about yourself to make you feel better versus, versus others. When we insist on our own way, we make our choices about our own freedoms and not about the good of others. We say, I'm free to do what I want. I want to have it my way. I don't need to wear a mask in public. And we get so concerned with seeking what's best for ourselves that we can rationalize, overlook, or sometimes even celebrate when we do wrong. And Paul says, look, Love doesn't do the things you guys are doing. It doesn't envy or boast or insist on its own way or celebrate sin. Instead, here's what love does. Paul then lists five things that love does as a contrast to what it doesn't do. At the end of verse 6, he says, Love rejoices with, with the truth. I mean that love doesn't celebrate sin, but it celebrates the truth of the gospel. Love takes pride and joy in the good news of the gospel because the gospel is God's love on display. It's God's love being demonstrated. Love takes pride in, sorry, the truth of the gospel is that God loves man so much. He loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die as a punishment for our sin. And it's our belief in his resurrection and triumph over death that saves us from our sin. That's the truth that Paul is talking about here. That is a truth that love rejoices in. When he says love rejoices with the truth or love celebrates the truth, it's Christ's love for us that is being celebrated. It's almost like Paul is saying love celebrates love. And that was convic convicting for me this morning, as I, this week as I, wor I worked on this sermon. I started thinking about the things that I rejoiced in or I celebrated in. 
We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. We celebrate our daughters when they accomplish something new. We celebrate when we achieve goals. I celebrate when my sports teams win, especially when the Eagles beat Dallas. I celebrate when I go fishing and I catch a trout. I'll, I'll take a picture so I can, I can show to friends and, and brag about. We celebrate lots of things in life. But the hard questions for me started to become, do I celebrate the gospel? Do I celebrate the truth that Christ died for me and that I don't need to work or struggle or worry about my ability to achieve my own salvation? Do I celebrate that? Do I talk to my friends and neighbors as excitedly about Jesus as I do about the Eagles winning a football game or as about a good day of fishing that I had? If I'm honest, I can't always answer yes to all these questions. How about you guys? In verse 7, Paul lists four more things that love does. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, if we have Christ's love in us, we can bear or endure the sin, arrogance, or rudeness of others. We can continue to trust, believe, and have faith in Christ's work on the cross and his work in our lives. We can always be hopeful in all things in all circumstances, because of that victory that Christ had on the cross. And that hope allows us to persevere and endure anything that may come our way. Now, the longer I've been a part of churches, whether as a member or as an elder, the more and more I see that church is hard. It's hard to live in community with others because we're all sinful. We're all imperfect people. We're all living and doing life together. And we all at times, just like the church in Corinth, we all at times, we're rude, we're arrogant, we can be self-seeking, jealous, impatient. But we're called to live with one another through it all and love each other through it all. It's kind of like a marriage. And so maybe I need to clarify my earlier statement about this passage not being applicable to weddings or to marriage. This passage in 1 Corinthians is applicable to marriage. And I think the most it's most applicable to the marriage that Paul describes in another letter he wrote. This, this letter was to the Ephesian church or the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 5, he says, and I'll put these up on the, on the screen. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of this body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So as much as Paul is writing about the role of husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, he's also writing about the role of Christ and his bride, the church. Christ gave himself up for his bride. He provides for her and cares for her. He's patient and kind with her despite, despite her sins because he died for her sins, cleansing her and making her holy, clean and blameless. He's one with his church. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's not only painting a picture for the church and how to, to love each other, but he's painting a picture of Jesus, of how Jesus loves his bride, the church, of how Jesus loves us, and how, of how Jesus demonstrates the love of God to us. And this is the good news of what we believe. This is, this is a gospel. 
And the gospel is the foundation of the life of a Christian. The gospel is the good news that God loved us, and so he sent his son Jesus to die for us and for our sins. And in believing in Jesus, his death and his resurrection, we have eternal and abundant life. And so as we wrap up today, I want to circle back to the statement or the main idea that I, that I made earlier. Earlier I said that if spiritual gifts are the tools that the Spirit uses to build up the church, our love is the material the church is built with. And I think that statement did a good job of summarizing what Paul said in verses 1 through 3. But in light of verses 4 through 7, I want to add to it. If spiritual gifts are the tools the Spirit uses to build the church, our love is the material the church is built with, And Christ's love is the foundation the church is built on. You can't have spiritual gifts without love. You can't have true love without Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the freedom to meet and gather here. I thank you that we can gather together as a church. And God, I thank you for your church, both both Fathom Church here in Littleton, uh, but also for your your, your church worldwide. And and God, I thank you for the way you've designed the church to work. I thank you that we're called to live together, not in isolation, but to live together and to love one another. I thank you that you've provided us with spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. God, you could do you could do so much on your own, but you chose to bring us alongside of what you're doing and, and to, to use us in what you're doing. And so God, I thank you that you do that through us, through our church and through our relationships with one another. God, thank you for loving your church like your bride. Thank you for loving us so much that, that we can celebrate the truth of the gospel, that, that you sent your son to die for us. God, thank you that we can celebrate the truth of the gospel as we live out our love for you and our love for, for each other. And so God, I pray that, that we would learn, that we would continue to learn to love one another well as we live in relationship with one another. And God, I pray that in doing so, we can show the love of Christ to, to one another, but also to, to the world around us. So God, help us to love well. Thank you for loving us so well. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.